We're in a series that we are calling a, a, a Prescription for a Better You. And we started into this last week. If you weren't with us, it's well worth going uh, on the website and watching the video from last week and the teaching. Uh, and, and our premise of this, we, we, we've got a key scripture for the entire series. It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. Look at this. It says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, each and every one of us started the year, we were, I would imagine, most of us were trying to make New Year's resolutions. Some of us gave up on that 20 years ago because they didn't work. And, uh, but most of us were saying, you know, this year I want to do this better. I want to be better at this. And, and so what we decided to do this year is actually help you uh, help yourself. And so we're calling it, a, you know, a prescription for a better you. And, uh, but what we're taking from this key passage for the next three for the full three weeks, is that we actually need God to help us. And so Paul is talking to the Thessalonians, and he says, listen, may God himself, may God himself sanctify, help you in the, the, in, in the wholeness of who you are, make you great. May, may God himself get involved in the process of your whole, you know, this year I want to be a little stronger in this, this year I want to be a little bit better in this. And so we're taking a holistic approach. And uh, we're taking the, well, you know, I, I, I'm, you know I, I, I'm a trichotomy instead of a dichotomy. And what I mean by that is I believe that, that, our, that we're made up of three parts. Kind of like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God's a triune being. I believe we're a triune being. And I believe that we're made up of spirit, soul, and body. Now, other people don't. They see spirit and soul as the same thing. And, and, and that's okay. I mean, we can differ in that and still get to the same place. At the end of the day, our, our spirit, our soul, you know ends in heaven with a, with a brand new body that God gives us. And so I don't think there's a problem in the whole concept, but last week we actually went into the spirit man, building up our spirit man, growing in our spirit man. And I challenge you to understand the power of the Holy Spirit, to allow the Holy Spirit to come inside of you in a fresh new way, to empower you, to embolden you, to give you the strength. And, uh, and actually uh, today after service, if you want someone to pray with you, uh, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, uh, we'll have some of our leaders and pastors up front right at the end of service, ready to pray for you as other people are dismissing, running out to get cake. If something that's happening today in the service really affects you and you're like, I just need someone to agree with me. Some of our leaders will be here available for that right after service, just standing up front. And we moved on into, if we're going to be, if if the pressure on the inside is not greater than the pressures on the outside, we'll concave. And we looked at this passage in Matthew where Jesus is dead asleep in the middle of a storm. He's in the boat. The boat is, the boat is about to, to go under the water because the, the waves are coming in. The disciples are losing their mind. They wake him up. And Jesus literally is like, why are you bothering me? And he stands up and he tells the hurricane, stop, peace, be still. And the reason that was is because what was on the inside of Jesus, the Holy Spirit living and abiding in Jesus, was greater than the storm all around him. And I challenged you last week that if you don't have something greater on the inside, friend, then when you get that phone call, when you get that engagement with that, with that boss who's now letting you go, you will lose your mind and concave if there's not a greater strength on the inside than the, all the pressures on the outside. And I challenged you last week how to grow in your spirit, man, how to become a stronger spirit led individual, have a strong spirit man, strong spirit woman living and abiding inside of you. And this week, we want to study the soul. This week, we'll be talking about the soul and how to strengthen our soul and how to grow in that. And our key scripture for this week's teaching about the soul comes out of Psalm 62 and verse 1. I love this passage. Psalm 62 and verse 1. Turn there quickly if you can. It says, my soul finds rest in God alone. Put it on the screen for him. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. 
Uh, and I believe firmly that, that our soul is made up of another three parts. I believe our soul is made up of our mind, our emotions, and our will. Some may see it a little different. Other psychologists and Christian psychologists say, well, actually, this part, some, some theologians say, well, it's only made up of a couple parts or five parts. Some of the Jewish thought process way back 2,000, 3,000 years ago made up of seven parts. But at the end of the day, I think it's proper to say that for sure our soul is made up of at least our mind, our emotions, and our will. And it's from that premise that I want to teach you today. I don't want to help you grow. I want to help you strengthen. Because if you and I can get our spirit man strong, if you and I can start developing our soul strong, and the things of God. And then if we can get to our body being strong, friend, I'll tell you what, 2019 is going to be the best year of your life. And I'll tell you why. Because as you and I ask God to help us, I've set New Year's resolutions year after year and didn't get anywhere close to fulfilling them. The reason why, because I was trying to do it in my own strength. You and I need God's help. And I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going to fix all that junk in your brain without God's help. You're not going to actually get that control over that way without a little bit of help from God. Come on, we need him. And Paul said in that opening passage that we read in Thessalonians, may God help us. May God get involved in sanctifying us in spirit, soul, and body. May God actually get involved in it. And I want to draw him into this process and not try to do it in my own strength because by myself, I fail. With him, I conquer and do great things. Are you with me? Say yes. So as we jump in, we're going to look at kind of this first piece and, uh, of the soul, and we're going to kind of uh, move more into understanding these three parts. Now, this weekend... Uh, Jamie and I, we, we, got, uh, we bought a house. We bought an older, an older home, and we're moving from our home into another home. It's a little, little bit more spacious, and, and it affords me to have a small group in my living room. And, uh, and so uh, people, have been, friends have been calling, hey, you need some help moving. And I recognized, I started telling them, no, 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 I'm okay, I'm good. Well, for two reasons. First off, I'm old enough now to recognize that I'm not going to pick up anything heavy ever again. So I hired these four dudes, and they had four guys, two, I mean, biggest college kids you've ever seen in your life, and they had two 24-foot trucks, and I paid them for three hours. I paid them $700 or something like that, and I'm telling you, I'm just pointing, pick that up, pick that up, and it only cost me $700. Three, four years ago when we moved, it cost me $10,000 because I ended up with double hernia surgery, so I said, never again. It's a good trade-off, $700, $10,000. I'm good to go. And so that was the first reason I told my friends, don't worry about it. I got, I'm paying some big old hunking dudes. If they blow out their back, they got insurance. Don't worry about it. We're going to let them have it. The second reason, I was a little uncomfortable asking people to come help me because we hadn't really packed up everything yet. We're kind of like, Jamie and I are moving at, at lightning speed. And so, and so, you know, as you start moving stuff around, you realize, where did all this dust come from on the back of this TV? You don't want anybody to see that. It's nasty. We started moving the bed and I was like, that's where that's at. I've been looking for it. We, we took the couch, and we started moving that, and I found my third child. I was like, I wonder where she was at. It's amazing. When you start moving, and the reason why you don't necessarily want people helping you move until you get it all boxed up and stuff, because it's nasty under there. Um, we, and we realized, man, we need to do some better deep cleaning around here. This is just gross. And you got stuff, you're like, that. I knew I lost a piece, a piece of pizza the other day somewhere in the living room. There it is. And so, you know, you start, it, it's that kind of, but I was so excited because as we're moving, it's causing us, come on now, to do a deep clean. And it's causing us to go into a new environment. God wants to take a deep clean to your brain, to your emotions, and to, and, and to your will. So a deep clean, fixing some things up, helping you out a little bit so that you can go to new things. Are you with me? Say yes. Come on, that's a good illustration. Let's start, number one, with the area of the mind. 
the area of the mind. So I, I need you to listen fast because this piece today should really be about a four-part series, maybe a five-part series, and all the research that I've done. So I'm going to try to pack it in to 30 minutes the best I can. So let's start, number one, with the area of the mind. This is the soul in the three parts, mind, emotions, and will. Start with the mind. Look at this passage in Proverbs 23, 7. says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. King James used to say it like this, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. In other words, what you think, how you think, that's really who you are. And I would help you understand this. You know, back in the day when I was a young adult pastor, young adults, you know, they'd fall into sexual sin. They, you know, they sleeping with people and blah, blah, blah. And they would tell me, Pastor, I don't know what happened. I just fell into it. And I would tell them, you're a liar. You might tell your mama that and she might believe it, but I don't believe it. And the reason why is because you don't do nothing you hadn't thought about. Actions come after thoughts. For example, and I would tell him, you mean to tell me you just ended up in her apartment with your clothes off? I said, did you have your good underwear on or your bad underwear on? Uh, 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 exactly. What happened was, weeks ago, when y'all was hanging out, you started thinking, ooh, she's so fine. I said, and then you started thinking about it. I need a reason to go by her apartment. And you waited till you knew her roommate wasn't there, and you fe- figured that out. And then you put your best cologne on, and you went over there because you needed prayer for something. And you created, you created this whole thing in your mind, what you needed prayer for. And then you knocked on her door, and you said, can we sit down? I just need some prayer for me. And as she's praying for it, you start snuggling up against her neck and chewing on her ear and little sweet nothings. And before you know, you ain't got your clothes on. Don't tell me you fell into it. You planned this whole thing out. You're right, Pastor. I'm so sorry. Exactly. See, I learned years ago I can conquer sin, the action of sin, if I'll back up and I'll get it straight in my brain first. If I can conquer the thought, I can conquer the action. Are you with me? Say yes. Let me give you a couple brain facts. This is pretty interesting. Scientists estimate that we have 2.5 million gigabytes of storage in our brains. 2.5 million gigabytes. You're like, what does that mean? Well, let me just put it in perspective. The biggest supercomputer, the best supercomputer to date in the world only has 10,000 gigabytes. You have 2.5 gigabytes of storage. It's in there. I tell people all the time, I have a photographic memory. I just can't find the film. I don't know where I put it. I mean, it's, but it's in there. It's in, that's why people tell it's so funny to me. People say, just forget about it. They can't. It's down in there. They got 2.5 gigabytes. They, it's down in a file somewhere. It's in there. You can't just forget about it because God made you so intense and so wonderful. And your brain can capture all of that. That what has to happen is not forgetting about it. We have to scrub over it. We have to overlay that with goodness. We have to overlay that with good thoughts. We have got to get past all the hurt and the pain and the, and the wickedness that we participated in back in the day. And we got to start seeing the good things of God. And what happens is it takes those old nasty things and we overlay the good things of God. And then all of these just kind of get surrounded, saran wrapped, if you will, with the goodness of God. That's the thoughts that have to be conquered. Here's another thought, or another stat. Unless interested in a topic, most adults have an attention span of 20 minutes. That's why I preach so fast, because I know I only got 20 minutes, and the rest of the time, you're on your phone talking about you reading the scripture, actually you returning text messages, and all this kind of stuff. Listen, my wife is in three services with me. I know by the third service, she's sitting there, she's nodding and stuff, but she's paying bills online. I know good and well that she is not following the notes. She is not there with me. She is doing something else. Not to mention how many notifications you got since you've been sitting here. All the notifications that you got and, and all that. Distra- and so I know I got 20 minutes with you, and that's as long as you can concentrate. Look at this stat. Researchers estimate 
that the adult attention span has decreased in the last 10 years by 12 minutes. So 10 years ago, you had 32 minutes of attention span, but it has decreased by 12 minutes over the last 10 years. I promise you, in the next five years, you'll be down to two minutes. I promise that's all we're going to end up with. And it seems like, or it seems that our fast-paced lives and full reliance on technology has taken its toll. I was doing some research and I found this out. Harvard did a study that because we now have apps that help us, um, uh, you know, GPS, know where to go, we don't even know where we're at anymore. Back in the day, we used to be able to say, it's that way. Go, we got to go north. I know that much. And we could get a sense that I'm in the wrong spot. Now we're like, oh, I don't know. It's, it, I don't know. It's saying go left, but it doesn't look, there's no left. Why? Because we're so addicted to it that we have lost our sense of direction. It's amazing. The Harvard research guys found this out, and, and it's, it's happening more and more. How about this next one? Most memories adults have come from between the ages of 15 and 25. So the, the memories that you play back in your mind, they're from that period of your life when you actually had abs, between the ages of 15 and 25. When you actually like were full on into puberty and you had zits everywhere to the place where you were like, you the sexy man on the planet kind of When you still had that fine looking little bikini thing that you wore. That is your memory spot. 60% of our memories come from that season. Some people tell me all the time, oh man, I remember being born. Liar. But most of our memories are right there in that age bracket. Isn't that the strangest thing? And that's why some of you are replaying those t- times, and those are times of hurt and pain, and you keep replaying and replaying, and we got to get that healed. we got to get that fixed. And then how about this? You have an average of 70,000 thoughts a day. 70,000 thoughts a day. I'm going to tell you, my wife has 1.5 billion, but the rest of us has se- se- so 70,000 thoughts a day you're processing, your brain is processing. How many of those thoughts are about Jesus? How many of those thoughts are good thoughts? How many of them are negative and insecure thoughts and all this stuff that's just bombarding your brain? Brain, 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 pow, 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 pow. And so what happens is then when we finally sit down, at the end of the day, all we want to do is sit around watching TV. All we want to do is just kind of sit around and veg a little bit. And the reason that is is because we're processing so many thoughts. And now, because we're processing so many thoughts, we're finding ourselves having more and more and more and more stress, more and more anxiety, more and more difficulty. Friend, I tell you, we got to get, we got to get God helping us with this brain sex segment of who we are. And I promise you, everything will change once you and I get the thought life and surrender. So let me give you a couple ways, a couple thoughts here on cleaning and strengthening your mind. Cleaning and strengthening your mind. Number one, number one, write this down. You got to rest it. You got to rest it. You got to rest your brain. You don't think about that, but you do. You have to rest your brain. You have to rest it. You have to carve out time to rest your brain. Technology has forced most of us to be crazy multitaskers, but your brain, I found this research, your brain cannot learn, learn or concentrate on two things at once. What it can do is quickly toggle back and forth between tasks. But doing so increases, uh, decreases your attention span, ability to learn, short-term memory, and overall mental performance. 
So I found this, I found this research. It was, it, it, Forbes magazine did, did this article about this research group that, 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 that studied like, I, I don't know, it was an astronomical amount of people. And what they found out was this, is that we're really not, our brain doesn't really have the ability to concentrate on two things at once. What it's doing is we're toggling back and forth. A little bit of this, man, over here. We call it multitasking. But in the process of doing that, we're actually not growing our brain. We're not actually concentrating, nor are we actually learning. We're just getting by with the moment by, by going back and forth with all these multitasking pieces. And they have linked that, all of that, they've linked it to Alzheimer's. They did a study, I think it was like 5,000 guys and their guys and gals in their 20s and 30s over a 25-year period. And they found that those guys and gals that spent a majority of their time watching television when they got off of work, somewhere between the two and three hour range, which is the average American, by the way, that most of those who did that ended up with Alzheimer's. The beginning, once they hit their 50s, they were in the beginning stages of Alzheimer's. Their short-term memory was toast. They couldn't hardly remember things. And the reason they, they, they surmise that that is is because, because your brain is already overloaded with information. And now you're watching, you're doing Netflix binges. You're sitting there with social media, boo, 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 just taking on more information. When you should be resting your brain, you're actually bombarding it with youth, useless and worthless, worthless information. And it's coming in, coming in, coming in. So you're seeing all these images on the screen. And studies have shown that television, movies, things like that, is the only time particularly that your brain shuts off. In other words, it just takes in the information. It doesn't actually filter it. So when I'm talking to you, you actually filter the conversation. So I say, yeah, you know, uh, you know, uh, the Cowboys are the best team in all of the NFL. What will happen is you immediately, there's a filter because you got a picture of the Cowboys, and, you gotta, and then you determine whether you agree with that or not. Because it's television, there's no filter. There's no processing it. You just receive it in. So what happens is you're overloading your hard drive. And what you're doing is you're putting so much in there that you can't really process it properly, and that's why you're stressed. That's why you're having major difficulties. And the research on it is unbelievable, especially connected to Alzheimer's and these type of things with mental health. They're connecting it back to an overwhelming bit of information that your brain was not supposed to necessarily process that fast that much at one time. And so what we're having is great difficulty. In fact, I have a friend. He's a very, very wealthy man. He's one of the wealthiest men I know. And years ago, he and I were sitting down, we were talking. He was at a moment like this in his life. He had a, he had a small contract business and it wasn't doing so well. In fact, he was worried that he was going to have to shut it down. And then, but he had had these promises from the Lord that he would finance global harvest, that he would send missionaries around the world, that God was making him a king and bringing in resources, finances, so that he could birth churches, so that he could give millions of dollars away for kingdom business. But the problem was his little business was falling apart. And he said, during a moment like we're all in, uh, beginning of a year, their church was doing a 21-day fast too, and he just kind of was praying before the Lord, and the Lord spoke to him and said, if you will fast TV for the next year, I will show you my ways. Because the television is keeping in the way of you hearing my voice. So my friend said, he did it. Now this is an older man now, he's in his 60s. He did it. He fasted television. I said, you fasted TV for a year? He goes, no, I've been fasting for the last seven years. He said, the first year, our business, not only did it turn around, he said, but it quadrupled in the amount of money that it brought in. And more money and more money. He said, I started getting contacts. He said, I would just be sitting there and I'd come home and instead of just turning on the TV after dinner and, and just sitting there for three hours, he said, I would just sit kind of before the Lord. My wife and I would talk. I'd engage with the kids and ideas would start coming to me. I'd write them down. Ooh, call so-and-so tomorrow. 
He said, and I'd make these little lists before I went to bed, just as God's giving me things. I'd read the Bible. I'd read a book sometimes. He said, I would just, I'd work around the house. He said, I just, I just kind of turned all that junk off. I rested my brain. And as a result, God could start speaking to me because it wasn't cluttered with all the other stuff. He said, and as I did that, these breakthrough ideas would come to me. I started getting the accounts that I never thought. And this man built hospitals. This man built universities. Can I tell you something? He, he sold his business a couple years ago at the tune of $200 million dollars. All because he cleared the brain space out, rested his brain so God could actually speak to him. So he could get ideas and thoughts from heaven instead of being bombarded. One of our pastors has been fasting television. He said, it's unbelievable. He said, my wife likes me right now. My kids, like they're pretty cool. <laughs> like you know, I never noticed because he's exhausted when he comes home, sit in front of the TV for a couple hours and go to bed which is what the average American does. It's unreal. And so you and I need to actually rest our brain. Look what Joshua 1 and verse 8 says. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it. Meditate. Sit and rest and think about the things of God day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Here's the second thing on how to grow and clean up our brain. And that is number two, take rogue thoughts captive. Write that down. That'll help you. If there's anything I'm good at, it's this. I'm not the greatest Christian in the world. I'm not the greatest pastor on the planet. I'm pretty good. No, I'm, I'm not the greatest. But I will tell you this. I learned to do this as a kid. And you have to understand, I am the poster child for ADDDDDHDDDDDD. So when I see one of your kids and they're ADDDD, I'm like, I love you. I'm telling you, like dyslexia, they would have given me more drugs as a kid. Thank God it was the 70s. And they weren't so sure about giving kids so much drugs. But I'm telling you, I'm the poster child. And you got to understand, for an ADDDD person, what we have is we have like eight, nine televisions going on in our brain at one time. Images, boom, 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 boom. And, and, and trying to figure out which one to pick and which one to deal with and which one to talk about. And part of my problem as a kid was I would, I just grabbed the first image and just, blah, just start throwing it out there. And just blah, 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 blah. And that, it got me in more trouble. I got more, I got more licks back in the day. They could whip you in high school, in, in junior high, and elementary. They take you to principal's office and paddle you. They can't do that now. But now I got more, they burned my butt, I'm telling you, because I would just grab that and just talk about that. I didn't know whether I needed to do this. And then what happened was, as we talked about last week, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I got a beautiful prayer language from the Father. And what happened was, someone taught me, said, when you have all this craziness going on in your head, do you just pray in the Spirit? I was like, No. He said, won't you do that? I started praying in the spirit. And what happened was all these thoughts went and became a laser beam. And I began to be able to make great decisions. And I was able to hear God's voice as I prayed in the spirit. And it brought all this. And God actually used what people would call a problem. And it became a strength of mine that I can actually move a little faster than everybody else. And I actually have multiple images going forth in my brain. But they become focused as I pray in the spirit. And they actually get somewhere. It's an amazing gift from the Father. It really is. I'm able to do more than the average person simply because of the way he made my brain and the way it's come into submission to the Spirit of the Lord. But in the process of that, what would happen was I would get these crazy rogue thoughts. God doesn't like me. This, that, or the other. Things from my past would just come up. I was like, where did that come from? And it literally put me into a depression, put me into an anger, put me into frustration. Someone said something, I didn't say something back to them two hours ago, and, and I'm still thinking about it. I'm sitting there thinking, oh, I should have told them something. And these rogue thoughts. And I learned out of this beautiful passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it's on the screen. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. 
If you've got 70,000 thoughts a day going through your brain, how many of them are rogue thoughts from the pit of hell? You do realize that Satan can't make you do anything, but he can throw thoughts at your brain and cause you to believe them. If you don't have the faith to say, I don't believe that. I take that captive. They didn't mean that about me. They weren't trying to embarrass me. I take that captive, and I stomp you in Jesus' name. You don't have power. That is not at all who I am. That's a rogue thought. That is not God. That is not the who I am. That's not how I should be thinking right now. Listen, some of you, you keep acting on these thoughts because you had the thought you think it must be okay. Listen, just because you think she looks good, and just because you had this thought in your mind, I want it would be like to cheat on my wife and go check out this other girl, that doesn't mean that God's in it. That doesn't mean you should do it. That's a rogue thought that needs to be taken captive and submitted to the things of God. And you got to grab a hold to it and say, I, and you'll hear, you'll see me sometime. I'll just, all of a sudden, somebody's in a conversation. I'll say, oh, I bind that in the name of Jesus. I just rebuke. I don't know my, I'm sorry, what were you saying? I had a rogue thought. I wasn't about, I wasn't about to let that thing take any more precedence. You got to learn that this is what the scripture is talking about. We make Christianity so ethereal. Like, and then we boil it down and just come to church and give you tithe, and somehow that's going to do great things. He doesn't want you tithe. He doesn't want you coming to a building. He wants a relationship with you. The other pieces are wonderful parts of the relationship, but they're not the relationship. Yes, I take out the trash, but that doesn't make me a good husband. I'm in love with her. I'm in love with her. Be in love with Jesus. Grow in that relationship. And then all the things that just come natural. Tithing, helping your fellow, fellow man open up a small group. You just can't help but do it. Why? Because you're so in love with Jesus. You want to help others. These are the pieces. But we take all of that and we make it a religious duty and think the religious duty is going to fix us. Religious duty doesn't fix us. Religious duty is the result of being in love with the living God and then having right relationships with him cleaning us and fixing us and strengthening us. And you got to learn to do the things that matter. you got to learn to go forth when God start taking those thoughts captive. Here's the third thing that I would teach you. Now, and that is, if you're going to clean and strengthen your mind, you need to submit to wise counsel. So we have a lead team here. And uh, you might have called them elders in, in another venue. We call them lead team. And uh, it's made up of husbands and wives. And, um, and so, and I'm, I'm the chief elder, if you will. I'm the head of the lead team as the lead pastor. And, uh, but we don't make any major decisions that we don't, we don't submit to the lead team in, in agreement. <laughs> a couple years ago, I had this great idea. I knew it was God. Uh, a local ministry was having this ex-porn star come and minister. Uh, she'd gotten delivered from pornography, and she was helping, uh, she was a porn star, and she was helping other women get out of it, and she had this ministry to them. And I just thought, man, this, we, we're going to have her come preach on Sunday morning. I was so excited about it. I called the lead team, and all the wives were like, hmm, pastor, hmm, I, I don't know. They start saying, pastor, you know all the men are going to be Googling her name, and their wives are going to be stabbing them. I mean, it's not going to be good. I was like, no, no, she's delivered, and we've got such mess with pornography out there. We need to be a church that actually deals with the real problems instead of skirting it and talking about, you know, ethereal things. Let's go down to the heart of this thing. Mm, Pastor, let's pray about that for a little bit. Okay, let's pray about it. And after a couple days, my wife and all the other, uh, I guess all the other ladies, they were like, mm, that's not the Lord. We don't feel like we should do it. And so we don't move forward if we don't have agreement, even if I want to do it. Isn't that great? Doesn't it bring you safety? You don't know, have a rogue guy. I'm going to go buy an airplane for the ministry. I mean, we got, we got a lead team. <laughs> Sorry, Lord, I, 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 I repent. <laughs> Jesus, I was a sucker punch. Somebody, I didn't mean that. And so, but, but man, and so we came back a couple days later, like, Pastor, and my wife's like, mm, Pastor, that ain't the word of the Lord. And I'm like, all right. That lady ended up leaving her husband. It was all messy and stuff. We dodged a bullet. Why? Because I submitted it to wise counsel. Why do you think I want you in small group life? Because I want you to have some other people in your life that know you. Why do you think I want you to do life with other people so that someone can say, hey, yeah, I don't know if y'all should buy a Mercedes right now. You, you can't turn your lights on. And 
you were asking us all to help you with food yesterday. Maybe, maybe you shouldn't do that. You know, submit to wise counsel. With that, submit to wise counsel. Can I just say this to you? I would also say that you can get wise counsel in reference to the medical field. I want to read a passage to you out of 1 Timothy chapter 5, and verse 23. Put it on the screen for him. Paul is talking to his spiritual son, Timothy, who's a young pastor that he set in place over the church at Ephesus. And he says this to this young man. He says, hey, stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Now, I've got all kinds of carnal friends who try to use this as an excuse to go drink alcohol. But what Paul is actually doing is, you got to understand, you got to put it in, I love when people take the Bible out of context. What's happened is they're in such a fiery season of Christianity that they're believing that everything's going to get healed. They're, 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 they're laying hands on each other. They're casting out devils. They've got all these things. And they've kind of created this doctrine that, that, you know, you don't need to take medicine because medicine uh, is not from God, da, 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 da. And Paul is correcting the young minister and say, listen, you got a problem, and most scholars believe that Timothy had gotten like an amoeba. He had a dysentery problem, and so as a result, had some major stomach issues. And Paul's telling me, he said, listen, take the medication of the day. Take the medication for, for the sake of your illness. Now, I know some people preach against medication, but friend, can I tell you something? God can use doctors. God can use uh, whole health type of products for you and things like that. You need to go sit down with some wise counsel. I agree that they are over-medicating children, but can I tell you something? Some of you are bipolar, and we really need you to go sit down with a good doctor and get some good medication because we don't know which one we're getting this week. I mean, I really, we love you. But we really don't know which one we're getting. And so we don't know if we're getting the one who's going to raise the dead and cast out devils or if you're the one that has the devils that we need to cast out. You know, it's, we don't know which one. And some of that really is a chemical imbalance. Some of that can be medicated properly. And, I, and some of you need to get some good health products going on in your body and lose a little bit of weight. We'll talk about that when we talk about the body next week. And all those things. Because why? Because you were made by God. And God wants to put his hands in on these things to help you grow and mature in these areas. We got to got to get that brain straight. And as we get the brain straight, guess what? All the actions will get straight. Let's move to the next one, if you will. And I want to deal with now the emotions. So we started with mine. Let's move now to emotions. Let me play a little clip for you. bottom it should have said drama queen right down there drama queen some of you guys you all over the place emotionally i mean you're like, oh, oh god oh god pastor pray for me the devil's got me today and next week you're in here man which one do we get and you're all over the place emotionally, and I just want you to know that God can strengthen you and help you in your feelings and your emotions. Come on, somebody. Lewis, Psalms chapter 42, verse 11 says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? David's talking to his own emotions, his soul, his mind, will, emotion. He's talking to his soul. Why are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? He says, he's talking to himself. Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. 
David learned the strength. When his emotions were all over the map, he'd just go start worshiping Jesus. He learned, he learned the strength of settling those emotions and getting those things kind of under control. And, uh, and, and I like to say it like this, you know, I, I want you to know, God gave you emotions. And I like to say it like this, we don't serve God by feelings, but it sure is good to feel the God that we're serving. Come on, somebody. I'm so grateful that he's not this distant, this, you know, this statue, this, this kind of, you know, uh, cross on the back wall of the sanctuary. And I come and I go, oh, and there's no relationship and there's no emotion or a feeling connected to it. I'm so grateful that my God engages with me and my feelings. He made you. And that brings me to the first point on how we can literally, how we can clean and strengthen our emotions. Number one, the way to do that is embrace that God made us with emotions. You need to embrace it. Sir, you being all unemotional and not having feelings, that is not like Jesus. He made you with emotions. The Bible says for us to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. Bro, stepping on her feelings because you don't feel like she should have them, that's not helping in anything. We were made with feelings and emotions. God made us, made us to cry. He made us to get excited. He made us to be passionate. He made us with those emotions. What we've got to learn, though, as we keep learning in this, how to submit those properly to the living God, to the move of the Holy Spirit. But you and I got to understand God made us with emotions. Jesus himself had emotions. We're supposed to have emotions. You have tear ducts for a reason. So you can cry. And, and listen, in counseling, we deal with this all the time. People who didn't grieve the loss of a loved one, and they didn't grieve, they didn't cry, they didn't let it out, they didn't let the emotion of it, and so they stuffed those emotions all the way down, stuffed those feelings down in there because they had to be strong for the family. And 20 years later, stuffing all the emotions and all the feelings down, and one day they just go, <gasps> and we're all like, whoa, Satan incarnate, what happened? And the reason why is because they've been stuffing them and stuffing them and stuffing them. And then they lose their mind and they do something crazy. And they like, I just, I just felt like I couldn't take it. I felt like I couldn't take it anymore. I was like, yeah, that's not healthy. And the reason why is because they kept pushing them down, pushing them down, pushing them down. And then there are those of you that are over-emotional. Everything's a feeling. <laughs> and then you blame it on the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and we're like, that wasn't the Holy Spirit, I promise you. He did not say that. And so that brings me to the second big piece on how to clean and strengthen your emotion. That is, let the Holy Spirit guide your emotions. You got to literally, I, I literally have learned to let the Holy Spirit guide my emotions. I, I, I've learned to kind of surrender that and say, you know what? I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do Jesus, You understand, Jesus cried. He laughed. He was passionate. He got so angry at the gathering at the temple that was supposed to be for God, and all they were doing is misappropriating the people, stealing the money from the people, doing that, being dead religious, and he took a whip and he drove them out. He was angry. He was fired up. He got them out. He was passionate. Thank God Jesus wasn't Thank God. He made us with emotions. Jesus had emotions, and you and I need to learn to submit them to the Holy Spirit. A couple years ago, I was, um, I was, uh, I was flying... And I was on my way to preach at a, at a large gathering of, of, of folks. And a couple thousand people were waiting on me to get there. And um, I, I love me some American Airlines. And American Airlines uh, ha had made a couple major mistakes all compounded on me. And it, it was that I wasn't going to make it not only to my destination, uh, but they somehow were trying to allude that it was my fault. 
And weather wasn't to play in it. It was, it was a, a couple, you know, mechanical situation, blah, blah, blah. They wouldn't, they wouldn't bend a little bit and help me get where I needed to be. And, uh, and I'm at almost a million miles with them. And so can I tell you, there was an anger inside of me that was unprecedented. Because I'm like, first off, you have bounced me around. So finally, I made it to a counter, a customer service counter in the Chicago airport. And this lady takes 20 minutes with the one dude in front of me and won't look up at all. Then he finishes and he leaves. And she won't call me over. She just, I mean, I'm feeling such disrespect. I'm feeling abused and mishandled. But at the same time, I've learned to submit that to the Holy Spirit. So I'm praying in my prayer language. Because I've got, remember, I've got the seven TV things going. So one of the TVs is take the pen, stab it in her throat real quick and see what happens. That's one of them. Trying try to keep that one from, from playing out. Jesus' name, Jesus' name. And so she finally, she doesn't even look up. She says, next. So I walk over to her. <laughs> I promise you, this is what I said. I said, ma'am, I am the angriest man you've dealt with in two months. And I want to tell you, for the next couple moments, do not misappropriate or misunderstand my calmness for lack of complete, total Anger to the point of harming you and anyone else that has AA written on a shirt. I said, but I am a, I'm a man of God, and I have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've been praying quietly in the Spirit so that I won't stab you. And I'm hoping that in this engagement, um, we can find a solution to what American Airlines has not done properly in regards to a very valuable customer with almost a million miles. She looks up at me. She says, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> so I went through it again. And she goes, wow, um, let's see if we can get you to your destination, even if we have to put you on another airline. What, what would screaming and spitting and throwing a fit have done? I see some of you. Oh, Lord, I, y'all don't know. I've seen some of you in the Walmart parking lot. I've seen some of you. I, 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 I don't know what you thought was going to happen by yelling and screaming at them, but they didn't do nothing for you, did they? Like screaming at that person, you, good for nothing. Well, let me help you faster than I am. So sorry. That doesn't work. And so learning to submit the emotion of it. That's why some of you, and you feel comfortable to do it at home with your spouse, the person that loves you more than anybody else. And so you just go into a rage, you go into a vomit, all these stuffed down emotions from work and all this because you don't know how to surrender to the Holy Spirit. So before you know it, you're saying things, and then, and then it's amazing. We get them in counsel, and they're like, I, I don't know what, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know why I did that. I lost my mind. Right, because the emotion of it all exploded on the inside of you, and you didn't know how to surrender to the Holy Spirit. That's why, seriously, you need to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need a beautiful prayer language. You need to be able to surrender that thing and put that thing under the Holy Spirit's care. Here's the third thing that I would teach you. You still with me? Say yes. All right, here's the third thing I'll tell you about emotion. And that is number three, kill every feeling that does not line up with the Bible. Kill every feeling. Just because you feel that way, what does the Bible say? So people tell me, I just feel this, and I feel like, I'm so, ooh, that's awesome. What does the Bible say? I just feel like God can't forgive me because of it. That, that, that's amazing. What does the Bible say? No, it doesn't matter what you feel. What does the Bible say? We don't live by feelings. We live by faith. We serve Jesus. The Bible says whatever is not of faith is sin. So you're sinning by going with your feelings opposed to believing what God says about you in his word. And so you and I have to learn that, you know, I feel this way 
the feeling is real. I'm not, I'm not demeaning the feeling. The feelings are real. But what you got to learn to do is then take those feelings and kill them if they don't line up with the Word of God. That's not what the Bible says. And you've got to have your brain tell your feelings, your heart, as some people say, what God says about you. And you got to say it over and over until you start believing it, until you get your emotions settled under the power of the Holy Spirit as to this is truth. And that is the struggle on a daily, daily basis for all of us. That is the struggle of literally getting those feelings under control. God doesn't love me. I've blown it. I can't do this right. He's not there. He doesn't really care about me. All these things, that feelings that come, and my wife is probably cheating on me, this or that. You've got to get those feelings and line them up with the Word of God. What does the Bible say? What does, that's why I've got to get you to read the Bible. Because one sermon a week is not going to fix you. And for some of you, one sermon a month is not going to make it happen, all right? So we've got to get it down to daily knowing our God knowing his word. You still with me? Say yes. Can we move to the third and final area of the soul? Let's move now to the will, to the will. And like the last one, I got a little footage I'd like to show you that represents most of us in here. Go ahead. Come on, give it up. What a great clip. That's all of it right there. God says, pray for that lady at Walmart. <laughs> Tell your husband you're sorry about that. Uh-uh. You ain't moving me. I am not moving. And I love how the owner does it, just like Jesus does. So he tries to drag us a little bit, but he don't want the community to know that he's got to beat us to get us to move. So he won't beat us. If that had been my dog, I'd have been like, oh, wait, everybody's watching. When we get home, you get no butt whipping. I'm looking at that right now. So what does he do? He unlatches and he tries to woo him. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come, I've got good things in store. This is what God does. And we're like, uh-uh, nope, uh-uh, you can't make me. Because God did something that I don't think is wise. He gave us free will. Why did he do that? If I would have been God, I would have made you all love me and obey me. I would have made it happen. But he didn't. He gave us free will. And I think the reason why is because he didn't want robots. He wanted sons and daughters who wanted to love him, who needed him, who he wanted a relationship with, could go back and forth, and a decision to say, I will love you even though I don't feel you. I will love you, oh, even when it hurts, even when I don't understand you, even when I feel like you hurt me, I still will love you. Because why? Because that's God, how God feels and loves about us. And so he wanted that engagement back and forth. So he gave us free will. We get to choose. We can choose heaven. We can choose hell. I disagree with those who think that God already chose for us whether we were going to go to heaven or hell. I disagree with that concept. I don't see that as the God that I serve. I believe that we've all been given free will and we can choose him or we can reject him. There are going to be people sitting in hell that went, yeah, yeah, I, 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 no, I, I didn't want him. And now I wish I would have. He gave us free will. And what do we do with that will? So again, Paul is telling, he's telling the Thessalonians, I'm praying that God himself will get involved, will sanctify you, will sanctify you in your spirit, man, and in your soul. That God himself, that you would allow God to have access to your will, which brings me to the first big point on how to cleanse and grow and strengthen ourselves when it comes to our will. And that's number one, and that is you've got to submit your will to God. Submit your will to God. 
John 6 and 38. So powerful. Look what Jesus said. This is Jesus speaking. He says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus himself, although he was 100% God, was also 100% man. He says, listen, I don't even do what I want to do, but I do with the Father. And that's how he changed the world. I only do what the Father wants me to do. Jesus, in that famous passage, is in the garden. It's dark. Most people are already in bed. Off in the distance come the guards. And they've got clubs and swords. And they've got, they've got torches. And Jesus is in this moment, and he's praying, and he's crying out, and he says this to the Father. He says, Dad, if there's any way they're about to beat me, they're about to shred the flesh on my back. They're going to hit it, shred the flesh on my back. Then they're going to hang me naked in front of everyone. And if there's any way that, 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 that this cup can pass, if there's any way. Because you know what Jesus is thinking? He's thinking, first off, I know that the Jews, some of them are going to be confused on that passage that says, cursed is any man who hangs from a tree because they don't understand. I have to take on the curse. I've got to take on the curse on, uh, on their life. I've got to take it on me so that they can now have access to God. But they won't see it. I'm worried about that. Not only that, it's going to be painful. And I don't want to do it. But nevertheless, not my will be done, Father, but thy will be done. I want to tell you today publicly, I am so grateful that Jesus Christ laid down his will and submitted to God's will so that Adam and Cain could go to heaven and spend eternity with the Father. I'm so grateful that he didn't do what he wanted, but he did. Because if it had been me, I'd have been like, when they started beating me with that cat of nine tails and that first bit of, that first bit of metal hit in the back of my back and then they shredded it and then they went another 38 times, I'd have five or six into it. I'm like, whoa, time out. No, 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 dad, we'll start over. I'd have fried everybody and just started over. Like, nah, it ain't worth it. We'll make some new ones, make them green, big ears. I mean, we'll, listen, we ain't got to fool with all this. But he didn't. Not my will be done, but thy will be done. I'm telling you, true Christianity is not saying a prayer. True Christianity is saying, Lord, I submit what I want to you. And this has been the real problem where so many people call themselves Christians. But then you say, well, they don't act like a Christian. They don't live like Jesus lived. They don't, they don't, they don't do what Jesus did. And the reason that is is because they wanted fire insurance. They wanted to go to heaven. No one wants to go to hell. How many of you would like to burn in hell forever? Uh, me? Nobody's that stupid. So everybody's like, yeah, well, I want to be a Christian if that will get me to heaven. But the problem is not everybody wants to let go of their sin. And so what happens is when we come a genuine growth point in our relationship with Jesus, when we say, you know what, not what I want, but what you want. Then we start reading the Bible not to be able to preach it to other people, but we start reading the Bible so we can figure out how we can become like him. Because we have now surrendered our will to God. And this is the big, the, big, the big crossroads with most people who call themselves Christians. They'll say that they're a Christian, but they don't ever really surrender themselves to Jesus' lordship. And so he says, you're only my disciple if you obey my teachings. So it's real easy to help identify who's a Christian, who's not. Doesn't matter what badge they wear, what jersey they have on. Are you a Christian? Do you obey his teachings? Well, I don't really like that. I don't believe that. I don't really care what Oprah says. It's what the Bible says. So this is what the Bible says. So just because you don't like it, the problem is not that it's not legitimate and not real. The problem is that you won't bend your will to it. And no matter how much pulling or prodding or wooing over, you have the ability to choose. That dog said to me, like, I ain't moving. I am not running another. I'm right here in the spotlight. I'm enjoying this moment. You can't make me. You can't make me. That master, that owner is big enough to make that dog do what he wants him to do. But he, he didn't do that. God could make you do it, but he gave you free will. Here's the second thing that I would teach you on how to cleanse, strengthen your will, and that is you got to take your eyes off yourself. 
my will, I'm an only child, so I'm about as stubborn and spoiled as a person could be. And in the process of life, growing up and maturing in my Christian walk, I recognize I have a problem with my will. I do only as the people, go, have you ever heard the term them? You know what them is? What's in it for me? I live my whole life by that. What's in it for me? I'm, not, I'm like a New Yorker. Hey, what's in it for me? I don't want it. You know, get out of my face. That was kind of my mentality. Until I got saved, got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and God started calling me to change. And he had to deal with my will because I was strong will. I did what I wanted, when I wanted, how I wanted to do it. No one could tell me what to do. No one could make me. It's like that little boy said to his dad who told him, you know, sit down, son. And he said, I might be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. And that's kind of was my attitude until God started dealing with my heart and I started falling in love with hurting people. Then something had to shift. You have kids, it shifts. You live your whole life about what's in it for you and then you have kids and all of a sudden you got to care about that kid. What's, what's, what's in it for them? And you start making sacrifices. You start taking your attention off what's best for you. Now all of a sudden you're going to bed at 10 o'clock instead of at midnight. Now all of a sudden you're changing what you're watching on TV because you don't want your four-year-old to see it. Now all of a sudden you're being more faithful to a, a, a schedule, whereas before you didn't ever know what time you might get up. Why? Because that child has need of you because you've taken your attention off yourself and put it on someone else. And I have learned that my will softens when I start loving what Jesus loved, and that's other people. They came to Jesus, they asked him, what's the greatest commandment out of all the commandments? He said, love the Lord your God with all your soul, all your strength. He said, but the second is just as great as the first one. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. See, when you and I take our attention off of ourselves then it's not so much you disrespected me. It's not so much. So what, what I've learned to do is that lady sitting at that counter, she's probably had a real bad day. This is customer service. I, I'm, I'm the 400th person who's ticked off standing in front of her. So I started trying to see it through her eyes. I started trying to realize that I might not be the best. I started a small group when I was 15 years old, not because I was the best small group leader, because no other, no other young person would do it. And I started worrying about the kids in the neighborhood that were coming to know Christ in our youth group. I was bringing to know Christ. So I started a small group with them. We just started talking about Jesus. I didn't know what I was telling them. I didn't have any Bible school training. I'd read a Bible and say, what do y'all think about that? And they're like, yeah, that's pretty good. And I'd say, I do know that you probably shouldn't be sleeping around. Uh, and, and, and that's probably not right. Yeah, you're probably right. Let's do it. Let's pray. And, and we just started doing life together. Not because I was a great hero or anything. Just because I finally took my eyes off myself and started putting it on other people's needs. And guess what happened? I became fulfilled. I began to have purpose began to be, quote, successful in the things of God. Why? Because I took my attention off myself and put it on others. Would you stand with me all across the room today? I hope that this has helped you a little bit. That we would prosper even as our soul prospers. That we would prosper even as our soul prospers. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes with me just to give you a, a place of concentration, a place where God can minister to you. We broke the soul down into three parts today. Mind, emotions, and will. I think everybody in the room would admit, oh, yeah, I need some help with that, God. You're going to have to grow me in that. I think we all recognize we haven't rested the mind. We've let rogue thoughts push us into stupid decisions and actions. I think we all recognize that we need to cleanse that brain with, that, with, with the washing of the Word of God. And then I hope that you would understand to get wise counsel. And then we dealt with the emotions today a little bit. And I, I would imagine that some of you say, you know what? Uh, that's for me. I feel like I'm all over the place with my feelings. I just can't get a hold to it. I, I, like, I don't even know who I am half the time. Friend, I, can I tell you something? You submit that to the Holy Spirit, he'll, he'll, he'll zoom that in like a laser beam. Get you balanced. You're supposed to have emotions. You're supposed to, feel, you're supposed to have feelings. You're supposed to have excitement and, and sadness. 
God made us that way. Jesus did. We're not supposed to let those feelings dictate to our faith, but our faith dictate to our feelings. And then some of us, we've just, just been stubborn. You hadn't said you're sorry to your brother. Y'all haven't talked in 20 years because you're stubborn. You got a, you got a difficulty in your marriage because you refuse to work on that thing. Because you were right, you want to prove that you're right, and you're so strong-willed about it. And God's been touching your heart. You've walked away from a couple of sermons over the years here with us, and you just won't go deal with it. Why? Because you don't have to, because it's your way. And that's true. God does not force his will on your will. But friend, I tell you something right now. You've got to learn to bend that will, submit it to Jesus. And today, as we're starting off 2019, a couple of weeks into it, did you mean it? Did you really want to change? Did you really want a better you? And these are the things that God wants to help us do. And we need his help. I want you to bow your head, close your eyes. And whatever area, mind, emotions, or will, whichever one touch you, if all three of them, say, God, I really need help in my soul. I want you personally, under your breath, out loud, whichever one you're comfortable with, ask God to help you. Say, Lord, I need your help. God, I can't get control over my brain. My brain's all over the place. God, I don't, I don't know. I, I met with a couple of doctors and, they, and they, didn't, they, didn't, they, they diagnosed me wrong. I had some health products and this didn't work. God, I need your help. God, my emotions are all over the place. My feelings are all over the place. God, I, I'm so stubborn. I need to change. I need your help. God, I thank you right now that every man and woman in this, in this sanctuary, every one of those watching by way of live stream right here, right now, in Jesus' name, that Lord God, we surrender ourselves to you. We need your help. Daddy, we can't do it in our own self. If we could, we would. And God, every year we feel a little guilty at the end of the year about what we didn't become, what we didn't accomplish. God, but it comes down to this. We need you to help us holistically. Lord, we need a full makeover in spirit, soul, and body. We need help. Lord, one inch at a time is so good. And Lord God, I thank you for these amazing men and women. God, they're so in love with you. They came here on Sunday to fellowship and worship with the other believers and to seek your face. Now, Daddy, we're crying out to you for help. We're asking you to strengthen us. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name for the rest of the mind the men and women would take that one point if nothing else and say you know what I'm going to start turning off the TV the social media I'm going to just kind of rest my brain a couple hours a day and just be with the Lord and be with my family and just kind of and just kind of quiet everything Father I thank you right now in Jesus name for those who have been acting out on those rogue crazy stupid thoughts that they would learn to make those submit to those who have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit Lord God that they would stop being so prideful and arrogant and resisting and say you know what I want all that God has for me and bend their will submit their will to you Jesus God I pray for those that Lord God that are just so struggled in their emotions they can't figure out what it is and Lord some of them maybe need a good health product Lord God some of them Lord God may just need to learn how to submit that to the Holy Spirit and others Lord God they just need you more than ever before balance out those feelings oh God may they line up with the word of God and Jesus I thank you that I get to pastor the coolest people on the planet and Lord we admit we're all growing and we all need you more than ever before. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray for anyone that might say, Pastor, I'm not a Christian. I feel so ashamed. Maybe you say, Pastor, I used to be a Christian, but you know, life happens, and I, I kind of walked away from God. We got separated somehow. I almost feel like we're divorced. Friend, I got such good news for you. He's not mad at you, and I'm so proud of you. You came today. You came today. You knew you were coming to a church. We didn't catch you by surprise. So that was your heart. Your heart was drawing you back to God. And that's such a good thing. And I'm so proud of you. And today, if you're away from God, would you let me help you get back to him? The Bible says it like this. If you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He teaches us to repent of our sin, which means just cry out for help and turn away from him. This is that moment for you. 
This is the moment. Don't be stubborn. If you've been away from God, go ahead and surrender your will. Allow him to be the Lord of your life. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. I'd like to pray with anyone who said, Pastor, it's my time. I'm ready to serve God. I'm tired of living like this. I don't want to be like this anymore. Friend, I'll tell you something right now. I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to spotlight you and call you poor, but you need to, you need to admit that to yourself, to God. And as the pastor, I'd like to know about it too so I can know who I'm praying for. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're away from Jesus, either you used to be a Christian and, you, and, and you've walked away, and you want to come home or you've never been, never been a Christian you want to make Jesus your Lord today would you let me pray with you would you admit that to yourself to heaven and to me by just lifting your hand up and saying pastor that's me pray for me thank you sweet love thank you so much thank you bro thanks for your honesty thanks man thank you for being real thank you sweet love yes sir yes sir thank you sir thanks for your honesty anybody else pastor pray for me it's time I'm ready I want to serve God thank you thank you so much for your honesty okay I saw it God bless you been a number of hands give it two three more seconds anybody else okay all right sweetheart anybody else Amen. Amen. Okay, I saw it. Thank you, sweetie. You can put your hands down. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, a prayer of repentance. I, I don't think there's anything magical about the prayer. I think the fact that you say, I want God. You said, I'm a, I, I don't want to live for me anymore. I want to live for God. I think that was what was supernatural, and it happened just a few seconds ago. Now, we want to seal it by prayer, a prayer of repentance, a prayer of commitment. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to lead you in that prayer. In fact, I'd like everyone in the audience to pray out loud with those who lifted their hands. Those who lifted your hand, mean it with all of your heart. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I admit I'm a sinner and I've sinned against you, Jesus. But today I repent and I ask you to forgive me. Wash me clean. Make me new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for putting my name in your book of life. Jesus Christ. I declare you are my Savior and my Lord, and I promise to serve you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray for every man and woman who prayed that prayer for the first time, cried out, maybe coming home back to you, maybe prayed it in years past. Lord, they meant it. Lord, I ask you right now that they would feel and sense the joy of being saved, being right. There's no more elephants in the room. Lord God, I pray, Lord God, that when they had those rogue thoughts, oh, you didn't mean it. Oh, see, look at you going back doing sin again. Father, they would be able to say, wait a minute, no. I'm not, God didn't say I would be perfect. I just in relationship with him. And now I'm going to grow and I'm going to mature and I'm going to have sin here and there and I'm going to repent and make it right. God, I pray right now for joy and peace. Peace for knowing they don't have to perform. They don't have to give money to the church to be a Christian. They don't have to go good, do good deeds. They made it right with you. And now you and them are best friends. Lord, grow the relationship. It'll be a little awkward at first, like any brand new friend. But God, I pray right now that they would move past that place of guilt and shame and into embracing forgiveness. And also, Lord God, declaring that you are their Lord and surrendering their will to follow you, to believe and obey your teachings. God, I pray that here and now in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people agreed and said amen.